Hello and welcome to the RPG PodQuest, the show that's not only about RPGs, but is also an RPG. I'm your quasi-host today, Nick, and with me we have, as usual, Jeremy. Good evening, and also good morning to Nick. Thank you. And over on the other couch, we have Evan. No matter where you are in this crazy world, have a good whatever time it is. Good day. Oh, well, but it could be a good night. That's a catch-all, right? Eh, eh, could I, be a good night. I guess good... I, I mean, that is why we just all say g'day over here and be done with it. <sighs> Your, you and your colloquialisms. But I won't ask you two to say it. Yeah, because I, uh, the, the American saying g'day, it always grates a little bit. But I digress. Welcome, everyone. Um, thanks again for joining us. Obviously, episode two, essentially, with the new, cra- new crew. Episode 12 overall. 13. I've lost count. It Evan, correct me. 13, it's... isn't it? Um, excellent. So you've been here a long time now. Um, so I guess we'll start off. You know, as we usually do, a bit of news and and new games. And I'll I'll hand over to you, Evan. Sure. So this week has been relatively quiet in terms of RPG news. By the way, we are recording this on the 12th of November. So that means Shin Megami Tensei V is out worldwide. A worldwide launch, which I think is a first for Atlas. Uh, So kudos to them. They definitely deserve it. The game's uh, gotten some really strong reviews, I think. I'm patiently waiting for my copy um (laughs) but in all seriousness uh kudos to atlas uh a worldwide release which i think this is a first for them is quite a feat and the game seems to be reviewing really well so that's excellent but actually the news that i wanted to talk about this week is specifically related to a game that's coming out next week pokemon brilliant diamond and shining pearl Uh, And I don't want to get into spoilers or anything like that, Um, although there are data mined uh, leaks out there in some capacity. Uh, Instead, I'd like to talk about the official video that was released, uh, all about Ramanis Park? Ramanis Park? Not really sure how that's pronounced. So Ramanis Park, I guess, is what some people might consider a post-game. So if you are familiar with the original Diamond and Pearl, and Platinum too, uh, there was this big old island that existed in the area kind of to the northeast uh, of Mount Coronet uh, uh, that kind of had a, a battle tower and a whole bunch of other stuff. I guess that's been repurposed in this game as a sort of park where you can encounter a whole bunch of legendary Pokemon. Now, there are some exclusives for each uh, version, which is fine, I guess. You know, they got to give you a reason to want to buy both copies. But uh, I was just wondering, do either of you have any thoughts on this inclusion, this technical edition? It's a little bit different from the original game. Uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting kind of hack around, you know, some of the legendary events they used to run for older games or even for newer games, you know, kind of give players an opportunity to start collecting uh, these Pokemon that have been more rare. Have they specified if it's legendary Pokemon from across multiple generations or is it focused on this you know, fourth generation of legendaries? It's actually not focused on the fourth generation. It is... 
um, lots of earlier generations. You have the legendary birds and dogs, um, and each of those trios are exclusive to uh, one of the uh, two respective games, as well as uh, Ho and and Lugia. Um, I think Mewtwo is exclusive to Brilliant Diamond for some reason, and Rayquaza is exclusive to Shining Pearl. I don't know the reasoning behind that. Um, They had an even number and had to split it somehow. I guess so, but uh, this this area was originally where you would encounter Heatran, uh, so I wonder if they're just going to put that in there uh, again, um, because a lot of the other legendaries could be encountered in like kind of one-off dungeons and caves around the uh, Sinnoh region. Any thoughts, Nick? Um, I mean, it's something I guess Jeremy and I have touched on before, our, our love for not going back to games, so... I think it, it's good, but I, I can't see myself touching it. Um, I'm a sucker. I will buy the double pack of both games, so the split won't matter to me, but I'll probably never see them. Um, I, I, I'm kind of keen, though, because for me, I, I played you know, red, blue, gold, silver, and then diamond, pearl, ruby, sapphire. I kind of stepped out. I don't know. I found them a bit slow. I don't know what it was, um, and then dipped back in straight after that. So, well, well, you're not alone in thinking that Diamond and Pearl were slow. That was actually one of the major complaints of that game, which I honestly didn't realize back in the day. But back when those games first released, uh, what what is it, ten? Uh, no, fifteen years ago, I think it was. Thereabouts, yeah. Uh, now, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was too young and stupid and just excited about video games to even care about their flaws but apparently like the speed of hp and the the speed of text was really slow there's also a lot of terrain uh sorts of uh, obstacles and inhibitors uh, in this game that that can slow you down a little bit and i know especially in ruby sapphire there was a hell of a lot of water and i think that scarred me a little bit so there's probably a what (laughs) seven seven year period where i kind of stepped off and then what came was it black and white after these, yes. yeah, and, and I, I definitely got back onto Black and White and Black and White Two um, quite heavily. So yeah, no, I'm looking forward to this. It, it, you know, it would have been nice to have a a giant, lovely graphical remake, but it's you know, it, it, it is yeah, what it is. We've got Ar- Ar- Arceus, 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 whatever it is coming next year. So that'll tick that box. Yeah, we've we've well definitely have to discuss that game at some point. I mean, I'm sure at least one or two of us is going to end up playing it, myself included. So um, it it seems like a, a pretty great departure, but sounds like there's some things that I've personally been looking forward to in Pokemon mm. games. And I mean, this is just comfort food nostalgia. Even though some people don't seem to be satisfied with that, I don't. No, well, I've, I've got, I've got a thought... mate that collects. He's got, I think, trying to get every single Pokemon in Pokemon Home. So if this helps him tick off a gap, <laughs> happy for him. Yeah, prob- probably <laughs> should. Um, but, you know, in an ideal world, yeah, we would see uh, Gen 4 remakes on or with the Sword and Shield engine. Yeah. But I don't know. The reception to Sword and Shield was. Well, I guess I should say my reception to Sword and Shield. I was going to say because they're they're almost the second highest selling Pokemon set of all time, so it can't be too far off. Yeah, which surprises me. 
in uh, some other news, Jeremy, was there a trailer or just some information that you wanted to share with us? Uh, yeah, so uh, people who have spent any time hanging around the Switch RPG community know that I am known as one of the Chemco super fans over there. Uh, Chemco releases a lot of budget RPGs, uh, like they've released them like candy, um, and so they've gotten a bit of a reputation for having also having low quality RPGs, which I defy. Um, there are some gems in their collection. I don't. <laughs> there are some good ones, but they released a trailer for a game that's been announced for a while. Uh, it's coming out in 2022, and it's called RPG Golf Legends. It's not from one of their usual developers. Uh, Chemco has a few developers that they work with frequently, EXE Create and Hitpoint Co. being the big ones. Um, this one is Arctic Net, but it is basically what would happen if Golf Story met The Legend of Zelda. If you watch the new trailer, it's an isometric style. You see them doing a lot of golfing things, and then all of a sudden it switches over, and they're like running around a field with golf clubs as weapons and fighting monsters. And there's a class system uh, with special terrain traversal abilities. It's madness, and I can't wait. Now, now forgive my Chemco ignorance here, Jeremy. I may have my butt served me. I really thought they were just a bunch of games they churned out with RPG Maker. Is that not the case? That is that is the <laughs> reputation they get. So Chemco is a publisher. They actually used to develop original games. They actually had some games on the Game Boy and Game Boy Color. But mostly they, they publish now. Uh, so they publish... Games by EXE Create are the ones that really have the reputation because they pump out like four or five RPGs a year. Yeah. Um, and those ones all use the same engine variations on the same mechanics and the quality of those games uh, varies wildly and they all seem to have these similar logos as well yeah they have a template for the trailers they release and that's how they do it <laughs> um but some of those games are good um they don't look nice um but they will have interesting systems and when they can do the stories right they can be really fun um hit point co is their other big partner that they work with a lot. Hitpoint Co. is definitely the higher visual quality. Um, they definitely have an engine that they've been reusing for many years, uh, but it looks a heck of a lot nicer. It doesn't yeah. look like an RPG Maker game. And they put out some really good ones as well. Uh, Monochrome Order, Monster Viator. Are, uh, are some of their games the ones that actually have 3D graphics? Uh, or, or No, those models? are EXE Create games. Um, really? I have not played the ones with the 3D graphic battles. Um, I've heard that they're bad. Um, so I've kind of just shied away from them because their catalog is big enough. I don't have to sample everything that comes out. Sure. <clears throat> but you ever ever looking for a budget RPG, let me know and I can make some recommendations. I, I have seen some of the, uh, the, the Chemco collections floating around physical versions that I am um, as a sucker who decided early on to try and own a physical copy of every turn-based JRPG on the Switch. Um, oh, Lord. Yeah, that was a great idea in 2017. <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, it's 2018. Nintendo gone. console, they'll never get RPGs. Uh, exactly, yeah. I'll, I'll go into that another day because that's the whole thing I'm dealing with. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the, the way that I see things is with this genre, you always have to kind of sift through uh, a number of releases. You know, many RPGs or JRPGs even are just releases on the eShop have some quirky names, but... When I see Chemco, that's like another tier of like cautious buying. Uh, and I will say that 
I do think that there are some Chemco games out there that might be worth investing some time into. Uh, Jeremy did mention Monochrome Order, which really has some neat ideas in it that are that are very different from what you might expect from like a, mm. a typical JRPG maker or RPG maker uh, sort of slap together product. But uh, I would say that a lot of their library is uh, is not great, but some people would describe them as RPG junk food. That is an apt description. They, they might be might be prime for the quest board if we hit the under twenty hour games. So. Yeah, yeah, that actually, actually that might be some great fodder. Uh, and I do know that Chemco they also release a lot of mobile ports, um, mm-hmm. or they they've ported a lot of their mobile releases onto Switch at least, and a lot of those uh, have features that accelerate your ability to complete the game which might be something nice for a sub 20 uh, hour sort of yeah uh, in 2019 they released 13 switch games that's not shocking so yeah Yeah, they also randomly get tagged to release like again they're a publisher so like they put out the uh citizens of earth and citizens of space duo pack for some reason um yeah which yes. is bizarre. I think w- when those first came out on 3DS, they were like yeah. Sega and the, published. They, or, Citizens of Space yeah, came out separately. Like I, I think it was still published by Sega um, onto the eShop, and then the bundle came out, and it's like, it's Kemco, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess. Good for you guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, publishers yes, do. do what publishers do. Um, but... I, I I'm assuming that you're looking forward to uh, RPG or RP uh, golf. so much. I I have a secret love for golf games. So, curiously, just for my own sake, what what did you think of of Golf Story? Obviously, a, a lot of the humor in that game was very Australian. <laughs> there were a number of references that I'm assuming would not be understood outside of this country, such as jousting sticks. There were definitely jokes um, that I didn't understand, but I assume that yeah, was why. Um, um, we, can ha- we can have that chat at some point, and I'll walk you through. Okay. <laughs> I did love Golf Story. I've played it more than once. Sometimes... Oh, yeah, excellent. Sometimes I, I think there there's a joy to be found in not getting the jokes of a game. Um, or of a game from a specific, mm. you know, sort of region. Uh, I played through at the end of the summer Black Book, uh, turn-based card uh, RPG um, from Morteshka, who are uh, some Russian developers. And there's a lot of jargon and, uh, you know, uh, folk. I mean, the the game is is seeped in yeah. in Russian folklore, but there's also some jokes in it too that just like completely went over my head or were delightfully strange in ways that I, I cannot communicate. Yeah. And I I guess it's nice to just not have the same, you know, or status quo. And I I feel the same way about like the Witcher series, like the the show, the games, the the Polish monsters and everything. It's, it's something that's obviously been around for a long time and the Polish community are familiar with, but it's, it's brand new, but it's fleshed out and there's so much there. Uh, Yeah. Um, Definitely. I, I agree. And I think that, you know, for the longest time, 
I was exploring other cultures through food personally. Uh, I, I consider myself to be a, a little bit of a foodie, but it it warms my heart to be able yeah. to uh, consume and absorb uh, video or cu- culture just in general through video games from uh, you know international developers. So I think that's that's really neat. Um, and I guess a lot of people on this podcast are looking forward to sports story, right? Oh, one hundred percent. Yes, very much so. Awesome. Um, so I guess we can move into just what we've been playing uh, over the course of the past week. Uh, Jeremy, you did just you know talk quite a bit about uh, RPG Alf, um, and you've got a, a whole lot of stuff that, that you'd like to cover. So why don't I get just some of my stuff out of the way really quick, and then we can get into uh, some of the other meatier topics that you guys uh, have, have prepared for the show. Um, so, you know, last week we did mention uh, loving Metroidvanias, loving uh, Metroid Dread and uh, Super Metroid, and looking for maybe an RPG equivalent, which is something that I dipped into uh, this week. I played a little bit of Monster Sanctuary, which, uh, Nick, I believe you had some strong feelings about uh, last week. You you said you enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, like I, I didn't get too far through it, but... Certainly from what I played, I think the, the monster-catching element, the art style especially, was absolutely charming. Um, it's that it, it borders that level of pixel art that, you know, is just detailed enough that there's there's some character and there's some real love in there. Um, and I, I'm not normally one for Metroidvanias, for, for side-scrolling platformers, anything, but I think, you know, with what was wrapped around it, the art, the monster-catching, it, it, was, it was really nice. And I can't recall too much about the, the story elements, um, so maybe you've got a bit more there, Evan, but no, definitely a, a beautiful looking game. And if, if I think, you know, if monster catching, if, if Metroidvania is up your alley, like, you know, like you did, it's, it's definitely worth getting into and, and having a play around with. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very marked, uh, change in momentum, uh, I, I would say. And, you know, coming off of a game like Metroid Dread, which is very much action uh, there, you know, there is exploration, but it's very action oriented. The slower pace of this game is something that put me off Mm. just a little bit. Uh, You know, this definitely is an interconnected world. Um, I'm enjoying the exploration aspect. And I also really like the whole idea that the monsters that you capture have sort of exploration abilities to them. Yes, being able to navigate based on the the monsters in your team. I I did quite like that, but it it does mean you're stuck with a Bidoof quite often. Yeah, well, and it also makes me, you know, think about which monsters I want to have uh, quickly uh, equipable too, right? Because they, uh, their their quirks are limited in execution. Um, but then, you know, there's also the combat, which is, I I will say. This is a bold choice to merge turn-based combat with, uh, you know sort of platforming exploration because again coming off of something like metroid this getting into battles Mm. it it slows down the pace a whole lot and that's even if you speed up that battle speed by three times uh, which i did pretty much almost immediately because i found this game to be very slow um you know I, i like some of the ideas that are being presented in terms of customization 
Uh, it makes me wonder if, like, I would want to have multiples of a monster on a certain team. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. The, the skill tree stuff you start to expand out to it. It was something that interested me quite a bit, and it kind of then made me look at Pokemon and think, you know, it would be nice to be able to construct and build your team, not just you know, say here's a Pikachu, but here's a Pikachu that is focused down this road um, a lot more in regards to its abilities and and talents. Yeah, most definitely. Although I'm, I was just kind of finding the skill trees to be a little limiting, and I guess they they're inherently limiting because you want these abilities that uh, that monsters will be able to get to to really uh, enhance their combat potential as you get later into the game. But I actually find myself kind of saving up skill points because I'm like. I'm going to want to dump these into the skills that I unlock at level 10 rather than just use them on all this stuff that is in the first tier. That's all I really have to say about the game. I mean, I, I do think that some of the monster designs are really, really strong. Uh, they they won my heart when they had a cat carrying a sword. <laughs> well, I would say spoilers for Shin Megami 5, you're in for a treat. Sorry. Oh, as as someone who is already familiar with uh, with SMT, those monster designs are on another level. Uh, but I've also found some of the monster designs to be a little bit plain too, and I, I'm hoping that I, I find some more that really win my heart because I think those those first four starters are really uh gorgeously animated and and have like really nice color palettes that some of the other uh more simplistic enemies kind of lack in some ways so i haven't really gotten very far into monster sanctuary but those are my thoughts i I think it's certainly a game that i'd love to see the developer come back to it similar to you know you've had other ideas like i don't know if either of you have played evo land you know it's just a, a yeah, a smaller RPG, but having that team come back to Evoland 2, or in this case, Monster Sanctuary 2, when they've clearly got a lot of ideas, but hopefully have more time, more resource um, to really expand out, I think would be something that'd be wonderful. Right, yeah. yeah but... you, sometimes, uh, sorry, Jeremy, sometimes all you really uh, can hope for is that a game sells well, uh, well enough mm. to, to maybe want to revisit, but what were you going to say? I was going to ask, uh, on the topic of the turn-based combat, with exploration um have did you find that those pausing of the action did that disrupt your ability to make a mental map of the area as you're kind of going around exploring uh, the map is actually very well telegraphed the mini map shows a whole lot of your location and i believe when you enter combat it is right on or, or right in the area sort of chrono trigger-esque um, okay. in that you know you, you just kind of uh, set up right where you were uh, where you landed or kind of ran into an enemy um, so it it's not a screen transition that is that's hugely trans transformative and you can find your place really easily uh, getting in and out of battles uh, I will also say the combat system has some unique quirks there's this combo system that that is being utilized that I don't know maybe gives me some of those um, indivisible vibes uh if either of you guys uh played that but in a much more strictly turn-based format rather than that game's like weird sort of cool down uh oriented gameplay uh, but it is neat and it it makes it, it gives every member of your team something to do which i think is is very cool 
Uh, even if you have like a passive turn where somebody's just sort of dropping down a buff, uh, they still are contributing to the combo meter in some way, which I think is a smart choice. I was going to say, regarding monster design, I was just having a quick look and uh, probably a spoiler, block your ears, but Worm from Worms is in the game. Yeah. Let that sink in. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, uh, you you look at a lot of monster catching games, you know, they, they thrive on their monster designs, right? You really need to want to get those monsters in, in order. Yeah, I mean, there's the, you know, got to catch them all nature of things, but... Mm if those M all are not uh, really visually stimulating or uh, things that you want to add to your team, it can be, uh, they can really feel more uh, like a, an, an obstacle uh, in your, in your way, which I think is a little unfortunate. No, I, I know it is one I want to go back to. I've got like, last week, my, my Xbox is uh, relegated to sitting in a desk drawer. It's hooked up to my computer, but I just don't, use my computer often enough to use the xbox yeah and you um, know um I, I was thinking too about like what i wanted to jump into but i know that really in these next couple of weeks i've got mm-hmm. really big meaty releases to sink my teeth into so i didn't want to be too committal with anything so that's why i just kind of booted this up started it off and you know i'd say first impressions are positive um in the same way that uh phenotopia uh, is it also giving me some really positive vibes. This is a uh, a adventure of Link esque uh, side scrolling Zelda like. Um, you know, I, I I haven't seen anything uh, so far that really evokes a, a whole lot of RPG ishness uh, in this. It, it really does feel more Zelda y. Um, although there is a stamina meter, which does remind me very much of of sort of Souls-esque games. Mm-hmm. But uh, this is a pretty looking game. I know a couple of people, um, not from Switch RPG, uh, the, the website, but from the Discord who swear by this game. I haven't, again, played enough of it to really give my thoughts. I do think, though, that a lot of the game is gorgeous, but the main character's sprite is not. It's very bland looking, and it kind of... Uh, I don't know if it's something that I'm going to be staring at for the entire time. I, I was hoping that it would have a little bit more detail, especially because when you pull up the the sort of equipment screen where you can kind of see uh, this main character's full figure, uh, that pixel art is really well detailed. And it almost feels like a shame that you don't get to see this character kind of fully realized in this world uh, in a way that uh, reflects that character art. It's an issue that I had with uh, Oni Naki. Did either of you play that or uh, or take a look at it? No. No, I didn't get to that one. I was a little burned after Lost Sphere. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, I think that was my reasoning as well. Yeah, I liked I, I Am Setsuna, but Lost Sphere just killed it for me. I completely get it. Um, and, and Oni Naki was the one game that I did decide to try out because it it looked more unique than any of the others but the character art in that game is absolutely gorgeous there are there's just these extremely lush beautiful full uh character designs and then you look Mm. at the the characters uh, in the game and they're just like so much more stripped down and basic and it hurts my soul 
I, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's got a strange look and, and this probably won't mean much to a lot of people, but if anyone's ever watched and is listening and trying to understand the visuals and you've watched Community, there's an episode in that show where they all play a computer game. It's an 8-bit side-scroller. Quite similar in, in regards to just visuals. Uh, you're talking about uh, Phenotopia specifically? Yes, yeah. There's, there's a very similar sort of scale, size, the buildings, just sort of the villages. Um, yeah. Just contextually, it's quite interesting. It's cute, but it's it's very chibi, right? And uh, I, I was hoping for something a little bit more. You know, there there's a, a sort of Adventure of Link-like slash Metroidvania, because Adventure yeah. of Link, in a lot of ways, those side-scrolling um, sections really... They, they are very Metroid-like, right? But uh, there's a, a game in this style called uh, Finding Teddy. Um, it's actually Finding Teddy 2. You don't have to play the first one to know or, or, or to enjoy this game, but the pixel art in Finding Teddy 2 is absolutely gorgeous. And when I play uh, Phenotopia, a part of me just thinks back to that game, and I'm like, I wish this game looked more like that. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, Jeremy, do you want to uh, go over to you or, or we can we can switch it over to Nick? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, yeah, so last week I talked about how I've been on a bit of a Metroidvania kick that has continued. Uh, so I wrapped up Super Metroid. Um, not as enamored with it as I have been in the past. That might just be because of the contrast with Metroid Dread. Um I feel like maybe I need to reevaluate. Is this my favorite Metroid? Is that actually Metroid Prime? Maybe we'll find out when the the Phantom Metroid Prime Trilogy HD someday, maybe possibly, comes to Switch. We keep hearing rumors that it's been done for like three years and they're just holding on to it. We literally heard rumors about it this week, actually. Yep, this week. <laughs> it's just like Star Fox Racing. It sits yep. there. Does it uh, exist? We don't know. Well, these games actually, we know they existed at one point. (laughs) We don't know if Star Fox Racing actually does exist, but this we do know. Yes. So, anyway. I'll reevaluate that when the time comes. And I'll also say, Jeremy, I'm a huge Prime fan, too. Um, Not, well, I like the original Prime very much. Yes. Definitely the best of the three. Like, one, three, two. Uh, so the other ones I'm playing, I did pick up Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow, just picked it up off my shelf and slapped it in my 3DS. Um, definitely the most RPG-ish you could make in a, a Metroidvania. Uh, we got stats, we got equipment, we got collectibles. Um, I'm enjoying it. I mean, I've played this game several times before, so it's just nice to go back into it. Playing a little bit more methodically than I normally do. Um, actually, like, pausing and grinding for souls as I run into new enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's I, just kind of happening in the background. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to say that I, I have not played... The, the only DS Castlevania that I've played is Order of Ecclesia. Uh, would you say that this is similar in RPG-ishness to that? Uh, I have not played... That's actually the only one I haven't played of the, the three <laughs> oh, DS no. ones. Which is funny, I've played this in Portrait of Ruin. They're all very similar. I mean... Th- uh, Dawn of Sorrow is the only one where you're actually collecting monster souls, as far as I'm concerned, or as far as I re- recall. But they're all three very similar in gameplay and build, and I'm sure they're all using the same, you know, stat yeah. engine in the background and experience system and all of that. So 
Yeah, I would think so. I hear Order of Ecclesia is the best one of the three. I, I, I will say it. It, is, it is the uh, Metroidvania or Egovania, whatever term you want to use, but it is the one that sold me on that genre. High praise. Uh, so I've also I'm playing a lot of games this week. Uh, also playing Metroid Two. It came up last week, and then I was just like, "Yeah, sure, I'll just do another playthrough." It's only a couple hours long, so I've got that on my 3DS from the eShop. Uh, so apparently, it's very strange that I like this game, and I wanted to take a moment to express my thoughts on why. I feel like you have to consider the time in which it was released to fully appreciate it. Um, you know, it being an original Game Boy game, black and white, or, you know, ugly green and ugly yellow, uh, depending on if you're going with the original color scheme or not. Uh, and it, they really did, a, I think, an excellent job of translating and upgrading the Metroid formula to something that works on a handheld. Um, you've got the structure of the game, rather than one giant map, is a bunch of little small maps that gradually unlock each other. They introduce new power-ups that are still with the series to this day. They keep popping up and over again, over and over again. The spring ball, the spider ball. Uh, what else was original? The different look for the Varia suit was first introduced here because they needed a solution for we don't have colors, so how do we make Samus look different when she gets a armor power-up? That's true. Uh, and they added a fair amount of lore that they've been building on for the last however many decades. Um, so it's... Yeah. It's a nice, is, yeah, very I, I, polished I Game Boy game. I, I can totally see where you're coming from. It's similar in a way to, I, I guess it's similar to Link's Awakening in that same way, in, in, in that that was a very successful tran, uh, translation of The Legend of Zelda to a, a, a handheld console. Um, and I, I can respect a lot of uh, <laughs> Samus Returns' ambition. Or, I guess, Return of Samus. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it does show its age in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so to to have experienced it in the time that it was released, I, I think you can appreciate it a whole lot more. Um, I, I think it can be a little hard to, co- uh, to come back to. That's valid. It's definitely, definitely of its time. Uh, there are those little annoyances that crop in here and there. Um, Items that are tucked away in these really hard-to-find places that are necessary to progress. And so you kind of tear your hair out. But that's just kind of old-school exploration difficulty. As someone who doesn't really play a lot of Metroidvanias, I I found myself when, when, you know, Metroid, um, Metroid 5, Metroid Dread was announced, I had a lot of friends going, oh, why... Are people so excited for this? You know, it's what's it's not Metroid Prime. Who cares? It's it's just another run of the mill Castlevania. You know, Metroidvania. There's hundreds of them a year. I was very curious to sort of get the take on people, you know, such as yourselves that are familiar with the genre. Of obviously, there's been a 20 year gap between um, between Metroid Four and Five on the GBA to now, and and the entire you know, but the entire genre exists now is essentially it. You know, it's it. It's not something that was being done a lot of, but now you've got, you know, Hollow Knight, you've got a lot of these other like big indie ones that have really taken that genre forward. I'm kind of keen to hear 
your thoughts and and obviously the the reception to Metroid Dread has been overwhelmingly positive so I'm assuming the answer is yes that it hasn't just slotted into that genre that is now being created around it but it's actually gone hang on guys sorry I went to the shops I'm back this is how you do it uh, oh man <laughs> so I'm keen to sort of hear some thoughts on that Jeremy do you do you mind if I if I go first <laughs> go for it um like honestly this is it's it's almost i don't know uh, <laughs> maybe i need to compose my thoughts no it's um i i will say that as a metroid fan um as as someone who gosh my my first exposure to metroid was uh playing a samus on in super smash brothers for the n64 right um because i i really did kind of miss i missed a lot of metroid uh, a, a, as a kid and my first metroid game was metroid prime um and so i i feel like i have a unique perspective uh, of this series uh in that the prime games don't have the same feeling of momentum that i think a lot of the 2d metroidvania games do they're also just inherently designed in a different way uh, than the the sort of classic Met- Metroid. So when you hear people say like, oh, you know, this isn't a Prime game, Prime's formula is great. Uh, and I, I don't think Prime would exist and be as good as it is if it didn't take some cues from these, <laughs> these original Metroid games. Yeah. And, you know, again, to go back to what we were talking about last week. I mean, I think super is great. I think super is great today. Um, and that that's not something that you can say about a lot of super Nintendo games in comparison with their, well, not contemporaries, but their, their current, uh, iterations, you know, a link to the past is so different from, uh, breath of the wild in so many ways, but the, the amazing thing that Metroid, seems to just like magically have maintained over so many of its uh, entries is that the sense of momentum uh, in these games and the the sense of excitement when you obtain new abilities yeah. is so tangible. Um, and it's something that's enjoyable about the, the Prime games too. And it's enjoyable in this entire genre. But I will say that, you know, I played Guacamelee, right? Which was one of the first uh, like big homage to to metroid uh or to metroidvanias that kind of came out came out of the indie space and i've played hollow knight too and those games do something unique in their own way i think hollow knight does take a lot of well actually i would say that dread maybe takes a lot of cues from hollow knight in in some ways uh in that like Hollow Knight very much is about positioning yourself in proximity to an enemy and making sure you can kind of get your licks in before moving out of their space as they try to attack you. I mean, I felt that was so, uh, that sort of design philosophy was so present in a lot of the battles that I was fighting in Metroid Dread. And it really almost seems to me like Dread is, it, it really is just kind of looking at everything that has happened <laughs> since uh, f- fusion and kind of saying like, okay, yeah, we see what you guys have all done. Let's just do it better. <laughs> and- yeah. And, and I think that that's the bit I was, you know, as a, uh, unfortunately rabid Nintendo fanboy, it was kind of like, a, Oh, 
this is, you know, this is interesting almost in, in can they actually do this? Right. And, and I would, and don't, don't get me wrong. I was skeptical too. <laughs> like as someone who played through Hollow Knight and got to the end of Hollow Knight and I was like, wow, this might be one of my favorite games in this genre. I, I uh, Metroid Dread just kind of like nudged it aside. <laughs> really yeah. did. I mean, I, 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 I will can... flag just for the sake Hollow Knight also an Australian game. I feel like I'm just going to point that out whenever I can. So. <laughs> and, and I, I'll also say that, um, Silk Song is is another hugely anticipated yeah. game for me. Um, you know, again, going back to that that Monster Sanctuary uh, conversation, right? But I finished Dread just this past week, and honestly, like every day after beating it, I'm thinking back to it and just like my mind is blown by how much I like this game, and it's it's blown in a way that like I almost immediately wanted to restart it. <laughs> after beating it um uh, and i don't know maybe it's it's just hitting all the the right notes for me Mm. personally but i think so much of what it does is is centered around this idea of of like positive feedback loops right which you know if if we wanted to get into like a an rpg discussion right um one of my favorite indie developers image and form is great at this sort of positive feedback loop sort of system where like every single thing that you're doing uh, has positive tangible uh, obtainable like effects that you can get immediately afterward that push you forward to want to do more and that's really what what 2d metroid does so well and the the briskness of the the game speed um and how it's it's really equal in not just your exploration, but also the like boss encounters. Yeah. Like you need to move, <laughs> you need to move as fast as you're moving through the environment. Uh, you need to move that fast when you're uh, attacking enemies too. Um, so it, it's not really much of an, an RPG discussion, but uh, I I just I love Metroid so much, <laughs> and uh, I I think it's it's sometimes hard for me to communicate why I love it so much, but. I do think it it comes back to this almost Diablo-like uh, sense of like getting those dopamine shots yeah. after after each accomplishment you make, and making sure that it kind of conversely to Diablo, the the dopamine shots you get are from actual effort. Like Dread is a hard game. <laughs> it it uh, it messed me up several times, but I enjoyed. I think eh, probably 90% of it, the the other 10% just me being frustrated in my own inability to complete it. <laughs> Jeremy, any thoughts? Uh, I think you covered a lot of you know what I would have said. Um, I will say there is something special about that Nintendo polish, just the way that they're able to build their games, that they're smooth and they're executed well. Particularly, you talked about that feedback loop, like, Metroid games are masterful at telegraphing to you that there is something that you cannot do, and you know you're going to be able to do it soon. Yeah. So you're on your way to a power-up, and there's a spot you can't reach. There's an item that's just far enough away that you can't quite jump to it, or it's behind a wall that looks destructible, but you don't know how to blow it up. Um, whatever it may be. And then, or there's an enemy that takes like 15,000 missiles to kill. And then you walk into a room and you get that new 
power-up that lets you jump higher or traverse the level in a different way or you get a beam upgrade and then you walk out of that room and that enemy is there and you kill it in two shots or there's <laughs> a grabbable ledge that you can now reach or whatever it may be and they never they don't tell it to you with text they don't tell it you with dialogue it's all right there in gameplay and metroid i think does that better than any other metroidvania game that i've played yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good point to make too. Uh, I'm I'm constantly amazed by how well Nintendo as a as a Japanese uh, and uh, as a Japanese game developer is able to communicate ideas so effectively visually and through gameplay. And I'll be honest, maybe a part of it is being born and raised on these kinds of games. But I will also say that I think that Metroid's aesthetics and Really, with few exceptions from the series, uh, the aesthetics are very consistent in that it's something that you will always be able to absorb and appreciate and also see telegraphed well to you. Yeah, and I guess that that's and obviously I've completely railroaded the discussion. Apologies, Jeremy. Jeremy, but that 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 was really sort of what stood out for me because that that trailer when it was first announced, I looked at it and you know it just looks like a Metroidvania with an art style that arcs back to you know two D Metroid Prime, and that's that's where I was very hesitant. So I think it's been fascinating to sort of hear the discourse and you know as it's come out. And a lot of people that even though, you know, listening to podcasts feel that can be critical of Nintendo, it's just like, okay, they've actually managed to pull it off, which has been fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, I, I think whenever, especially as RPG fans, right? As people who like uh, 50 to 60 hour long games to see a, a $60 game with a, a nine, 10 hour playtime. I mean, I capped it at nine hours almost exactly um, yeah. on my first playthrough. You know, you might say like, why, why, <laughs> why, why am I going to want to uh, invest uh, this much money into this? But I would say, because uh, <laughs> you know, you're going to play it multiple times. Yes, that most certainly. But I'd also say that I got 10, 10 solid dollars of content per hour. When I when I played through this game, I, I, the, and that's that's just how I, I would uh, I'd put that. But um, let's let's take a step back from Metroid for just a second. Jeremy, do you want to tell us uh, what you've what new RPG you've you've settled upon? Uh, yeah, so I took your recommendation. I just started in on Cosmic Star Heroin. I'm like maybe an hour in, so I don't have a lot to say about it this week. I'll have more to say next next week. I'm really just getting into the world of the story and getting used to the mechanics that are there. Um, kind of an interesting bit of ebb and flow to the comet that they've set up that I'm still wrapping my hands around. Yeah. It's different, but I think it's different in a really refreshing way that you... that n not a lot of other JRPGs utilize. Yeah, it it almost feels like a forced version of the boost system from Octopath, where you're slowly building up these points that you can then blow. But in this case, you have to use them on this turn, or they go away. Yeah, 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 yes. It's not a perfect analogy, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. Um, and you're going to see it used in some really fascinating ways, so... Um, 
you know, I, I think that the game is, is really good at kind of introducing all of its mechanics uh, early on. And then really everything that happens after that, uh, you'll, you'll see, oh, I get this concept because it's been introduced to me, but it's being utilized in a new way that's pretty neat. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Right, that's everything uh, well, I'm playing this week. <laughs> very nice. Thank you. Thank you for uh, allowing us the opportunity to talk about something like Metroid. Nick, you've got two games that I have experience with. Well, you've got two series that I have experience yeah, with. Yeah, and, and I made a mistake by doing this. So I, for, for the listeners, I, I started playing Caligula Effect 2 um, at the start of the week. Um, I think because with the build-up of SMT5 coming later in the week, I really just wanted to play something that was somewhat similar. Um, and Monday morning, the parcel arrived. I, I'd played Caligula Effect 1. I don't believe I finished it maybe, you know, sort of 10, 15 hours. Um, enjoyed myself. When was it? Like 2019. So, you know, enough of a distance between Persona 5, um, enough of a distance between anything really. I'd been playing similar to those games. And for those that haven't played it, I mean, Evan, would you just... I'd just refer to it as a Persona SMT-like um, yeah, yeah, that's that's how a lot of people have described it um, in terms of its relationship mechanics, I guess. I mean, it's combat, at least the first game. And, and the the combat that. I do want to talk about because the combat, I thoroughly enjoy the mechanics that they've, they, they use. And I know that in the first and the second one, I just think it's quite novel. So we'll drill into that a bit. But yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, it's a neat idea. Um, but I mean, it's made from some... I believe X Persona creatives. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure specifically who. I think it might have been a scenario writer from some of the original Persona games, uh, but it's definitely got that DNA in it, and and you can feel it uh, in, in there. Uh, the the SMT parallels. It's a little bit edgier than Persona. A little bit. Yeah, so that, that's sort of where story-wise it kind of straddles that middle line of not being so poppy, but being a bit poppy. But I think the overall scenario, and for those listening, it is essentially you are in a, or call it a, you know, a virtual world in which it's, correct me if I'm wrong, Evan, it's, it's run by a, 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 you know, a Vocaloid star, a hollow star, similar Hatsune Miku essentially yeah, gets a lot much. of power, runs a virtual world. And sticks all of humanity in there so that they can relive their dream life, which, of course, means going to high school in Japan, because right, yeah, that's <laughs> who who doesn't who doesn't dream of going to high exactly, school? and and you know, so that's similar thing there. I, I've I've only put a, a you know two three hours, so a bit similar to Jeremy with Cosmic Star Heroin, just sort of understanding the mechanics. But had Shin Megami Five not come out this week, I definitely would have kept on with it. And I'll touch on the the battle mechanic. Apologies is is something that I think really fascinates me there. So what what you're essentially doing? It's a turn based battle mechanic, but as you select, you know, let's say attack, I'm going to attack Evan. You get a little time slider. So the next twenty seconds in 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 a real time view of where do you want this attack to land? So you can juggle it amongst, you know, maybe you've got your allies launching attacks. Maybe they're launching buffs or debuffs on the enemy, and you can actually time slide to make sure that your attacks all slot in in that little window, um, which I think is quite fun and quite fascinating. I, I haven't got to a point where I can really use that yet with regards to buffs, debuffs, and actually start lining up um, and you know comboing attacks in any any 
um, wonderful way, but you can certainly see that there's the elements there that will allow it as the game rolls on. So I think this one will unfortunately sit on the backlog. Um, I think SMT, which I'll jump to in a sec, is going to take over. And I always know after playing a game like Shin Megami Tensei V, I, I don't feel like jumping back to a similar lengthy RPG, you know, within the next week or two, it's a park it and come back to that style of game, at least in a, in another month or two, once you've had time yeah. to, to reset the brain. I feel that uh, SMT games, they, they take a lot out of you. Yeah, which I, um, so I know earlier in the podcast, you said it's the, the 12th of November, Ivan. Thankfully for me, it is the 13th of November. So I, um, I, I picked up my copy of Shin Megami Tensei Five yesterday at work, um, got home, put in uh, maybe two or three hours last night before bed, and then another hour or two this morning. Um, it is an amazingly slow burn. Um, very reminiscent of Shin Megami 3 as opposed to Shin Megami 4. And by that, I mean Shin Megami 3, my reflection of when I was picking up Nocturne, you know, you are start off happy-go-lucky life, bam, immediately into the negative scenario of Shin Megami, the, the alternate reality, the, the negative Tokyo, whatever it might be. And then instantly you're just sort of exploring, fighting, you know, meeting the demons, running into it. Whereas I found with Shin Megami 4, and unless I'm remembering this completely incorrectly, it's been a while, um, you know, you almost start off more in a, not so much the school school atmosphere, but more in that sort of medieval, you start to explore the world, you find the ruins, you start to sort of explore and find um, this forgotten scenario beneath yeah, you. Yeah, four, 4 definitely does have a, a very different vibe. And it's, you know, I, a part of me wonders, especially as I saw a lot of promotional material for 5, and also kind of went back to Nocturne too mm. with the HD remaster over the summer. A part of a part of me was like, are they doing themselves a disservice by by re-releasing three and then uh, doing five again so close after it? Yep, and and that's I am struggling because I recently went through Nocturne. I didn't play it because it's you know old game. The, the just the some of the quality of life features I think just didn't sit well with me. Um, yeah. but I, I got, you know, five, six, seven hours in, um, I'm five, four, five, six hours into Shimagame five now. And it's incredibly similar. I've just hit the point where the, the story is starting to expand in the introductions. So uh, I'll be interested to see what that gameplay loop is. And I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I was sort of sitting there going, geez, I really hope something kicks in soon because I don't know. <laughs> You know, I you know I'm I'm still keen, but I don't know how much longer I can do this, having just done the same thing for Nocturne and not really gotten anywhere. Um, yeah, well, something I will say about and you know even four had this kind of two um, in terms of its storytelling. I mean, SMT games and almost kind of uh, juxta juxtaposing uh, Caligula mm. effect with with SMT. Um, they are very i don't want to say light on story but the stories are ambiguous right so you are doing there's a lot of game that you are playing in between story beats yes and yeah. it's it's not always going to you know explicitly tell you like hey this is stuff that you should be paying attention to which it's a it's a different kind of feel really and it's it's very evocative of this series 
so <laughs> when you say it, yeah. those things, when yeah. you say those things to someone like me, I'm like, oh yeah, let's. <laughs> let's yeah, get and I think I'm for excited. me, because my my you know first real introduction was Shin Megami Four, um, and you right. know obviously it's got a, a slightly different sort of build up at the start, and and I think you know and and that for me, and I think then only having played Nocturne in the last 12 months and then coming to this going, Oh, hang on. Why are they so similar? It's, it's, you know, but it's, it's certainly, I'll, I'll be sticking with it. Um, like I said, it, it looks like the story is just picking up about four to five hours in. So if you're in a similar boat to me listening and you've picked it up and you start, you know, going, hang on, I'm just straight into gameplay mechanic and I completely get it. It probably will be, you know, uh, especially the switch with how gangbusters has gone. This is, maybe the first Shin Megami for a lot of people. Um, and it's, it certainly is a slow burn at the start. Um, but, you know, I, I've, like I said, I've hit a turning point. I'm optimistic now. I, I literally, I think I, I jumped on, you know, Discord to talk to you and Jeremy, uh, you know, whenever we jumped on and I was just going, oh, I had an alarm go off and I'm like, oh, I, I can just sense it bubbling under the surface. <laughs> I can, I was just, so I, I definitely, straight after recording this, I'll, I'm having some lunch and I'm jumping straight back on because I can just certainly see it's it's about to hit a point. Sounds sounds good. Um, you know, I know here you have in your notes that you specifically wanted to cite the music and the style. Um, you know, again, the music I think of four, even of three two, um, is there. There is just something so unique about this series and what it does, and I love it. It's it's it is. If you think Caligula effect is darker and edgier than Persona, then yeah, this is this is a whole nother. Wait level. until you play yes. your first. <laughs> yeah, Shin yeah. Tensei, uh, game. and it's funny you can certainly see like some of the style and the design elements. Obviously, they're coming hot off the back of Persona, um, you know, becoming what the, the hottest franchise in RPG um, uh, around really, and taking JRPGs to an next level. You can certainly see not gameplay wise because obviously there's a, a massive distinction between the two. But stylistically, you, you know, there's there's just nice little style elements, even little things like, you know, the the confirmation button to continue on to the next page of text. There's just there's just style baked into um, what you're doing. Nowhere near as much as Persona, but we would never expect that. Um, but there's there's just enough under the surface that shows that they, they've, you know, it's a premier game. They, they, they've yeah, not just I'm... pumped out Shin Megami 5, they've pumped out a premier game They've taken lessons from Persona as well, and you can just see that they they are really stepping it up here, which is which is exciting to see, and I'm, I'm definitely will be continuing on with it this week. Yeah, uh, I don't really want to. St- you know, we've we've still got quests to go to. Yes, so I know. Um, spend too much, <laughs> uh, too much time on this stuff, but uh, you know, I will say, as someone who also played Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Uh, you know, you've got your SMT, yep. but then you also have your TMS on uh, on Switch, and I also played it on Wii U too. Yeah, I, I also um, did, of, did the double. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the UI uh, sort of inter uh, well, just interface details are actually very similar to that game, uh, which I, it doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I definitely feel that they probably took a lot of, of stuff from... Yeah, no, you're, you're 100%, sessions. and thinking about it now, you know, a lot of the menus going in through the configuration, the the, the demon setups, all, all that kind of, there is a hell of a lot of similarity there. So I suspect they've, yeah, they've which, pulled a little asset folder across, and then made yeah, some adjustments. And, uh, to be honest, when I, when I kind of picked up on some of those things in Tokyo Mirage Sessions, when I was first playing that game, and I was like, 
this is very clearly SMT. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm comparing those two because Tokyo Mirage Sessions is an SMT game. Yep. It's extremely different uh, in terms of, like, vibe and even just, like, some of its, I mean, color palette and, and everything like that, right? But it is uh, it is very much SMT, and there there is something about the, the style of these games that that is extremely palpable as you were saying what what i'm curious about is structurally is this game moving forward in some ways and so and from what i've heard you know in terms of exploration and kind of engaging with the environment this is a departure for this series but it maybe does feel that way and it might not at the same time i'm really gonna have to get my hands on yeah it and I, i'm still still too early to say it's still fairly you know narrow i'm being funneled down paths that you know a couple of branching areas to explore but it, it's it's sort of kept its cards close to its chest in the first five hours so no, definitely yeah. a lot to see there cool well i i can't wait to sink my teeth into this and to have a longer discussion with you guys uh on this stuff um as, as we get in, into just playing it um jeremy are you are you going to be picking it up eventually so i've never played any persona Shin Megami tensei anything of that whole franchise i've not touched before so the trailers for this one definitely caught my eye and the hype for it has definitely got me hyped for it uh <laughs> But I just have to find a time to fit it in. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing more about it from you guys, though. Yeah, and and what I'll also say too is that Atlas is one of the one of the most consistently, uh, well, they they as as publishers and and developers, I guess. Um, you know, the, I, I know that they're a part of Sega uh, now, but um, as publishers, they are some of the most consistent salespeople. <laughs> Um, of their games they put their games on sale a whole lot uh so i think holding off on this if you're not entirely sure that it's something that you're going to want to you know drop that that full 60 on you will get a sale uh on this and and it will make it more accessible to a wider audience so if that's something that you're concerned about um so i as i said we do have some quests to get into uh and we we kind of uh, mixed around, stirred around our our uh, structure for how this episode was going, but uh, I think we're just gonna tackle this this next one uh, very straightforwardly. Uh, we are gonna talk about our quests. So normally we do a live roll for our quests, but we did some revisions uh, to the quest board that are are that you're going to see uh, when this episode finally uh, gets posted. We've added some more quests. We've uh, added some complexity as well. We'll talk a little bit about one other element uh, that we are, are going to be implementing kind of towards the end of the show. Um, but we did do a role in preparation for today's episode. Uh, and so starting off, I uh, restarted this new quest board nice and strong with a, a good solid one. So... Uh, that's kind of par the course for me, uh, is is not getting high rolls. But the first uh, quest on our new board is an RPG with a great battle system. And I feel uh, there's really no better, uh, no better game to talk about um, than something that I've already mentioned on this episode, which is Tokyo Mirage Sessions. This is a game that I 
uh, absolutely love for a number of reasons. Um, one of them being uh, <laughs> that I played this the summer after uh, having spent a year in Japan uh, myself. And so kind of getting back into this environment again and, and going to a, a convenience store to pick out my items that I was going to be using in dungeons and stuff uh, and, and exploring Shibuya, which is an actual place that I, I went to, was very cathartic uh, for me uh, in a lot of ways. But the, 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 the joy of this game and the, the way that it, it really doesn't necessarily set itself apart, but it, it accentuates a certain part of the Shin Megami Tensei battle system to like an absurd degree, which is its session system. So Nick, uh, you you've played this game. You you're familiar with this, but Jeremy, uh, you might not be uh, as as into the SMT lingo. Uh, so a lot of Atlas's games utilize something called the press turn system. Have you heard about it? Are you familiar with it, Jeremy? Never even heard that term before in my life. <laughs> okay, um, I'll so be your audience the- surrogate. So the press turn system is this whole idea that when you hit an enemy's weakness, you don't lose your turn. You actually keep a half a turn. Uh, So what that means is instead of you and your three or four party members uh, only being able to take one turn before the enemy uh, attacks you, you can really get uh, quite a few more turns banked in there if you're hitting the the right uh, kinds of enemy weaknesses. And because uh, demons or enemies uh, in in the Shin Megami uh, Tensei series, but also in Tokyo Mirage Sessions, they have such a wide range of weaknesses, you need to be able to keep a record of what their weaknesses are. You also need to make sure that your skills that your party has are able to hit a broad range of, uh, of these uh, sorts of weaknesses. So you have physical attacks, but you have physical attacks in different varieties. So in Tokyo Mirage Sessions, they specifically uh, sort of imbue this uh, with the Fire Emblem weapon system. So you have uh, sword uh, attacks, you have axe attacks, you have lance attacks, right? And then you also have uh, all the different varieties of magic, your fire, your ice, your air, your lightning, and enemies can be weak to any of those. Uh, so Tokyo Mirage Sessions takes this a step further, which uh, they say, well, listen, you're not going to gain another chance to act. Uh, you're not going to be able to pull up your command list and attack again. Um, instead, you are going to attack with one of your characters, right? And if they hit a weakness of an enemy, your other uh, playable party members are actually going to say, oh, I know that move, and they're going to jump in and attack also. And so early on in the game, this is, oh, we hit this one enemy in a single turn, we hit them three times because your one party member does their lightning attack. And then one of your other uh, party members has, oh, if a enemy with a lightning weakness gets hit, I follow it up with a wind attack. And then one of your other party members has, oh, if somebody else does a wind attack, then I follow up with a lance attack, right? So you do three attacks in a single turn, which is- That sounds really interesting. (laughs) <laughs> it is yeah, I'm always yeah. 
I'm always a fan of when they have some kind of elemental skill chart or in this case in this case weapon typing chart uh, where it does more than just oh you did extra damage to this person where it has some other effect on gameplay um, I think Octopus Traveler did that very well with the brake system and this one sounds really fun and like you can really get some good momentum going it, it gets even more wild I mean by the end of your 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 playthrough of Tokyo Mirage Sessions, one character will act and it will start like a 21-session combo. Um, and, you know, in the original version of the game, you had to watch every single animation, which was great because the animations in really a, a lot of Atlas's uh, products are fabulous. But in the sort of revised versions per Switch, they kind of gave you a fast-forward option. So you can... Uh, kind of just see the end of each uh, character's animation, which speeds things up a great deal. But uh, you you have other systems too, and then you have like gauges where the more uh, sessions you complete, which is when you know characters jump in and attack after you've done a, a skill, um, the more sessions that you complete, the more of a gauge you you max out. And then when you max that gauge out, you can use other kinds of special moves too so it's all these sorts of um again we, we talk a great deal about momentum gaining it's all about keeping up your momentum and making sure that you are maximizing your damage and uh the the fun thing too is that uh eventually your enemies can start performing sessions on you so you really need to make sure that you are creating a team and balancing a team that uh that won't be exploited by the enemies that you're encountering I think it's got some of the best dungeons I've ever played in an RPG, which I think is is pretty high praise <laughs> given my uh, my 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 catalog. But uh, there's so much that I love about this game, and I think it's a shame that more people haven't played it because uh, it is weird. Don't get me wrong; it's about Japanese pop idols fighting demons from another world that may or may not be some sort of apocalyptic future of the fire emblem universe but it's also super fun and absolutely joyful oh i'm sold <laughs> going on the wish list uh nick would you have anything that you might want to add about uh no no i, I think you've touched on it it is um you know for me it came at a very strange time of i don't believe at that point i'd played any Persona game, any Shimagame game, I don't even think I'd played a Fire Emblem yeah. game. Um, but of course, I owned a Wii U and I liked RPGs. <laughs> so you, you I, I was, was the most excited <laughs> I've been. No, so I was thoroughly excited when this came out. And um, no, I, it, yep, I, I do recall I, I playing it. It's actually as my, my partner and I, when we around the time we were sort of first dating, so it was and she didn't really have any uh, background into J Japan, Japanese culture in any way. So, of course, she'd sit there in the lounge room and see me playing this game about Japanese school idols and and uh, get get many a strange look. But outside of that, I think, you know, the demon summons and, and, and the dark side of it, the fire emblem <laughs> implementation, it, it, it's light. Yeah. But, you know, if you, it's it's certainly it's, it's a fun game. And if you, you're looking for something in that Persona realm, the Shimagami realm, the Caligula effect realm that's a bit more bubbly and colourful, it, it, it's certainly it, it's a great place yeah, for it. Yeah, I gotta say, just like the colors of that game, 
<laughs> you know, you, you think of SMT, you think of dark and 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 dank and oppressive, right? And when those first trailers came out, I because you know, again, as someone who's not a huge Fire Emblem fan, right, uh, but is yep. a huge uh, SMT fan, I saw that first trailer and I, like I sat back and a part of me was like, my brain can't process why they made this choice, but I actually kind of love that they did make this choice. Because I actually, I absolutely love the aesthetics of that game. Um, well, and and that is really what drew me in and kept me going because it's just, it's just so, it's so weird, so it's colorful, so weird. So friendly, <laughs> and yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. So uh, that's that's Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Nick, what's your quest? I rolled a four. Well, I say rolled. I couldn't find a dice. I Excel random number generated a four but I do have a dice for later on today. So really Thank good. goodness. Um, which means an RPG with a very immersive world. Now, when, when I rolled this, I had two immediate thoughts. The first one was the Trails of Cold or the Trails of series, which I know I talked a little bit about last week, and I'm sure I'll come back to that at a few other points. Another game I mentioned that was sort of one of the first RPGs I'd really played previously, and this is the one I'll focus on, um, and change of pace for us i thought i'd try to get us away from the uh the, the japanese rpgs and try to use these quests as an excuse to to dig more into western rpgs um but but for me i've, I've chosen mass effect and i i don't do it have either of you really dabbled in mass effect yeah you know it's too bad that uh, will isn't still with us because one of the last things he <laughs> talked about on this podcast was how much he loves mass effect yeah uh, and and for me the the mass effect series i so number when number one came out i i played it i i must have hit a glitch or something i got like four hours in i couldn't progress i turned it off i never came back mass effect 2 was about six months away and a friend messaged me and he said oh i'm really excited are you getting this and i said i haven't finished number one yet so i jumped back into number one six months before number two came out and i was just over the moon absolutely loved myself um, and I'll get into why, but, you know, entertainment wise for me, I've always enjoyed sci-fi television, you know, Stargate is one of my favorite shows of all time. The, the world building I love is just, it's the aliens, it's the culture. Yeah. And, you know, just doing a bit of research this morning for today, I've, I've downloaded the, uh, 150 page codex document from the Mass Effect series, um, which, you know, every alien species, every alien culture, every alien civilization, there's, there's just so much there in the form of text with regards to their codex in regards to, you know, who are these aliens? What is their history? What are, what are the, the political implications? What are the main, you know, m memorial holidays in their culture? What are, there is so much there. And I think, I talked on last week, you know, what I love is, is traveling in a, in a, specifically in a JRPG and going to different villages and, and meeting different cultures. But for Mass Effect, it takes it to the next level. It's just, you walk into places like the Citadel and, you know, you're, you're seeing trailers for, for a, a Hanar alien space, um, you know, Mission Impossible style film. <laughs> you, you, you just get these takes of, real life in the future but with an expanded culture set so you know it's still our world but it's however many hundreds of years in the future we've been introduced to these cultures their cultures have started to bleed into humanity humanity has started to bleed into their cultures and just seeing the the alien takes uh, and the species and everything i think really took me back and 
you know, it's why I love certain films like, you know, Mass Effect, uh, sorry, not Mass Effect, um, The Fifth Element, just, you know, some of those cultures and the, the alien being intertwined into humanity in the future. I always love, you know, I think at the moment a lot of sci-fi television show and gaming tends to be in that, uh, we'll say, 50 to 100-year range. You know, you, you, humanity's expanded out. We've got space stations where we're exploring. But this really takes it to that level of we've explored. You know, we're now part of the global, um, no, not the global, the, the universal community. Um, and, and that, for me, is really just why, for me, it's it's the most immersive world. I... I sat there for hours just reading through text files. You know, you land on a planet that you can't even visit and you've got three par paragraphs of text talking about the thermal temperature of said planet in regards to its, you know, how close it is to the sun in that particular solar system that, heck, you can't even do anything in that solar system. But it, it's it's ridiculous. And the only thing that disappoints me is that there's not more... You know, I guess there's, there's, and they can't to the scale, but more cities or towns to visit when you're visiting some of these worlds. Sure. Um, you often get a military outpost. You get a, you know, there'll be a, an inkling of, oh, we've got this little subset of a building or a couple of buildings, but not just walk around town and, you know, see, see the people. Um, but I get you're in the military, you're exploring, you're going to military bases. There's a lot of that. But I think, you know, it's almost like something like a, a Star Wars just with regards to how much lore there is behind the scenes. Yeah. And and I'd, I'd love to see, and I know Mass Effect 4 is coming out, and I'm very excited, but I'd love to see some of that world building going on, you know, be it books, be it um, a role-playing game, you know, even just like a, a D&D style role-playing game. I think there's such a rich tapestry there that that I would just love to see more. Oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. I, I'm, I'm surprised, and I'm I, I truly, like, I, I'm kind of shocked that there isn't more i'm surprised that we've got halo novelizations and we don't have an equivalent for mass effect because to me of those two mass effect has such a more uh vibrant sort of rich culture to it you know again and i'd be curious to hear your, your thoughts jeremy if you have any exposure uh, to the series i don't but <laughs> I, I mean my my exposure to the series is it's just hearing other people talk about it. But again, what Will has said, what I'm hearing from Nick now, and from what I've heard uh, from other people, it, it is the world building that really makes this such a beloved uh, series and, and universe. And it really makes me want to give this series a try if I can uh, in some way. And man, I wish that there was some sort of, you know, trilogy port to the Switch, <laughs> please. Hey, I know you've got a Wii U. You can always get Mass Effect Three on the Wii U. That that so. doesn't that that's a that's a hollow victory. <laughs> very fun, very fun fact. Before we get Jeremy's thoughts, I found this this morning. Of of the hundreds and hundreds of codex entries or thousands of codex entries, there is one entry that is exclusive to the Wii U. <laughs> well, so, well, now I have to get it. Take 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 with you that knowledge and use it as well, you will. Now I have to get it. It must be mine. I must read that lore entry. Uh, but, yeah, no, sorry, Jeremy, have you had any, any you know, history uh, of the My exposure is very similar to what Evan has, mostly just hearing about it over the years. Yeah. Um, that one log entry doesn't happen to be about the Lilat system, does it? No, it's actually there was a gun that was released on the Wii U version that was not on the other versions, 
And just from a quick Google, tw- it, it looks like it didn't make it onto the uh, remastered version. That's hilarious. So it's, it's, it's lost <laughs> to the Wii U. One particular assault rifle. Is it uh, shaped like a power glove? No, it's just shaped like an alien gun. Oh. It's the M597 Laden, if anyone wants to look into it. All right. Okay. Well, I, I'll keep my eye out for it because now I am obligated as a Wii U owner to go out of my way and get that version. I want to get into more Western RPGs, and this is a series that I, I am very curious about. Um, I, I hope that I can have some sort of rig... <laughs> that that can play it in, in the future something that's you know affordable and accessible to me but uh thank you thank you very much for sharing that nick uh I, it's it's more of of what i i do really hear is is so beloved about the series jeremy are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna talk about what i think we're gonna talk about so i want to promise you that i i racked my brain uh for any other thing in my mind that would qualify for this quest and i couldn't think of anything so we're stuck with the age-old debate. So I rolled a five, and on the new quest board, that is a non-RPG that you think qualifies as an RPG. And the age-old debate is, of course, The Legend of Zelda. No! I believe the very first episode of the show, you guys, you and Will, had a conversation about this very topic. But to revisit it, so my take on The Legend of Zelda as an RPG, so... I've been a Nintendo kid my whole life. I've been into RPGs since I was a kid, um, starting all the way back with the original Dragon Quest, which was Dragon Warrior at the time. And, you know, if you asked me what my favorite RPGs were at, when I was young, I would have told you, you know, like Dra- Dragon Warrior, Final Fantasy, Legend of Zelda. Because uh, back then, there wasn't much debate. Is there was There was no debate whether Legend of Zelda was an RPG or not. It was talked about as an RPG on the playground. It was referred to as an RPG in gaming magazines. It was pretty straightforward. Where did you live? <laughs> it, it's almost, Jeremy, like you're playing the role of a character being Link. Huh, interesting. <laughs> ah, stop it! So, so the question is, you know, what was it that defined RPGs back then that may have been lost in today's era? And I think the, the things that really define an RPG... Back then was, you know, character progression. You know, your character doesn't have just one static set of abilities or temporary power-ups. They grow in strength over time. Uh, a story focus uh, was big. It's not just like you're going to play a series of levels and then you're done. There's some kind of, even if in the earliest days it was just the skeleton of a story, it was there. And then the third piece is that kind of exploration, dungeons, puzzle elements that were drawn in from tabletop role-playing games that were then infused into video game RPGs. The problem that we run into today is that all of those elements, every single thing that made RPGs unique, have all been subsumed by other genres. You know, character progression, any action-adventure game, any action game today has a character progression system. (laughs) Um, And I mean, freaking, like, shooters have experience points and power-ups that you gain over time. Um, Story focus... Almost every genre has now has big sweeping stories. Um, exploration, dungeons, and puzzles, um, probably the ones that have expanded out the least, but you still find those in action-adventure games. Um, so, you know, the nerds won 
we had the fix on what was the most fun, and now everybody else is copying us. Um, but it makes it hard for a series like Legend of Zelda, which has not changed a whole lot over time, to still fit in that nice, neat category of RPG. So go for it. Here's what I'm going to say, okay? I played Rogue Heroes Ruins of Tassos, which you want to know what that game was? It was Zelda, but with a roguelike dungeon design, all right? I played Trigger Witch, which you know what that was? It was Zelda with guns and a witch. Here's what I'm saying. Zelda is the most milquetoast exploration adventure game in existence. If you if you say, okay, it's technically an RPG, it's got like the most bare bones qualities of an RPG that yeah, I guess you could technically finagle it into there, but it's not doing anything deep enough to warrant actually being called an RPG. That's why even with Breath of the Wild, I would say that game's not an RPG because really it's more just about solving some very specific 120 puzzles and exploring a big world and surviving in it. It's more of a survival game. But listen... That's just my take, personally. That's just what I'm throwing out here. You can you can die on that hill if you want. I'll be fighting upwards towards you. I was gonna say, Jeremy Nick. won't what, Jeremy won't die alone though, Evan. You will in this scenario. So, <laughs> I, I I think the RPG has evolved, and I guess it's at a point in time Zelda was an RPG. But then, you know, then we start getting into the whole debate as we go. Then you break it down. What's a JRPG? Is it a Japanese-made RPG? Is it the mechanics of the JRPG? So you can... I'm just going to stand in the middle and say, if we take Jeremy's view on what an RPG is, then Mystical Ninja starring Goman for the Nintendo 64 is the best RPG ever made. <laughs> so that's, that's my view on the situation. But no, for me, the, no, the uh, RPG, well, because it's always been about the story... And the world exploration, I, I, I sit it in that park of being an RPG. And I guess it, it really, it's where you come to what is an RPG is probably what's going to divide how you sit something like Zelda on that fence. The, the, <laughs> the, the semantics uh, argument just becomes so irritating to me to a point because, you know, you can say, okay, well, Zelda is an RPG, which that I might be able to concede, but then somebody goes, oh, well, since it was developed in Japan, I guess that makes it a JRPG. <laughs> and I'm like, you, if you equate Zelda to a JRPG, they are so fundamentally different in so many ways. It is so hard to, like, merge those two. Although, again, like, if you think of Faxanadu, right, which was uh, released on the NES which people at that time considered an RPG, and they were like, yeah, it's doing very similar stuff to Zelda, but it is a little bit more complex, and that's what is making it more RPG-ish, right? Okay, well, doesn't that mean that technically, retroactively, Zelda is an RPG too? I get that semantics argument. I really do. And and so, you know, if if it comes down to, like, deep in your heart what you feel is an rpg is what zelda is i i can't take that away from you i truly can't but 
I'm glad that we are re- relegating this topic to this quest. I, saying, I, I sense from this that Jeremy and I both just sit on the fence, but Evan, you're passionate about this. So we may bring this up continuously forever from now on. You cannot on. escape the debate. Um, so, no. If, if, if you... Especially dare. next year with, you know, Breath of the Wild 2 coming out, when we've got to vote for best JRPG of the year, it's going to be pretty straightforward i'm sorry actually i think i I don't think you're thinking of the same game i'm thinking of the sequel to the legend of zelda breath of the wild which is what it is listed on in nintendo's graphic because the the, the title's a spoiler that was the reasoning they gave for not announcing the title yet wasn't it i i i bet you it's literally like i would be so I would be so angry if it was just Breath of the Wild too. <laughs> I'd be keen to hear, Jeremy. Did you have a backup option? I didn't. I I, I legitimately racked my brain to think of something, some other game that I was like, I think this is an RPG, even though other people don't. No, I, I got nothing. I don't. I, I mean, there's there are some games. There are some weirdos who have weird takes. I mean, there are there. people who would think a Metroidvania is an I, RPG. I, I maybe... Yeah, this this is true. This is true. And where where do you tow that line, right? Because there are RPG mechanics there in are. Metroidvania. So, uh, God, if I roll a, full, a four today, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that, we have to come back to this. Uh, that'll actually be quite amusing because you'd have to pick a different game, and then you'll be uh, us. And you, I was going to say, you can't pick a Metroidvania. Uh, well, nice segue. I could be a jerk if you roll a three oh, or a four I, I or, or a three or a five. Uh, yes, this is true. So I think it's high time we close out this episode. We've been talking for a while, which is great. I love conversation. I am very much enjoying this. But before we do our plugs, before we head on our way, um, and really, actually, before we even uh, take our live roll, we wanted to talk to you about a new system that's being added to the RPG PodQuest. And that is, of course, if we're going to play this podcast like an RPG, we better have jobs, right? So we have created a series of jobs that are going to help us move through this quest board in some... Uh, fun ways and i mean fun in that we can make this easier for ourselves we can make this harder for other people (laughs) we're gonna see how that turns out uh as we explain our jobs so do we just want to go in our quest order and and uh explain our jobs to the audience does that sound good it sounds good all right so i guess that means i'll i'll start off uh, we have a job list that is, at the time this episode uh, is posted, going to be up for all of our listeners to uh, to take a look at. And it's something that, you know, if you're following along, maybe you want to implement as well. Uh, it can be something that hopefully if we uh, start getting some, you know, interaction and emails, uh, maybe some of our listeners could contribute with their jobs uh, to our playthrough. But um, we've created this job system and each job does something different. I'm thinking we're not going to change our jobs all that often because uh, our jobs are fun in their own ways. But our jobs level up as we complete enemy encounters. So each time we complete an enemy encounter successfully, our job uh, level is going to go up to uh, the, the next level. However, we don't want to get too crazy with these jobs. We want to max out our job level at three because let's face it, 
we'll have more fun with that maxed out skill, but that also might encourage us to take on new jobs as well. So my job, uh, which you will see on the job board that will be uh, posted, is that I am a thief, which means I can swap quests with another co-host while remaining at my post-roll number. So let's say uh, I roll a four uh, this episode and somebody else rolls a six. I can switch my quest with them while still remaining at quest number five. Uh, and they would have to take on mine because that's a really devious thief-like thing to do. Um, but we both have to announce our roles and our quests before I can even uh, utilize this ability. And as I level up, I can use it once before my next boss battle, uh, twice if I'm at level two, and three times if I'm at level three. Uh, so uh, I guess we're going to toss it over to Nick next. Nick's, Nick, what is your job? I'm an alchemist. Um, the purpose being I'm slightly a sadist and, you know, we were talking through a bunch of these jobs and, and what we could do. And I think the, the explanation we had for, for an alchemist just sort of really twigged with me about the ability to merge two quests together. So effectively, I would be able to take, say, the quest Evan lands on, the quest I've land on. And, you know, let's, let's say, for instance, you, you then have to combine and have something like rather than just an overrated JRPG or an RPG with a great soundtrack, you now have to talk about an overrated JRPG with a great soundtrack. So and you can, it can and be you can quite use... interesting because if I can create some really difficult scenarios, like, you know, if we took a non-RPG you think qualifies as an RPG with an immersive world... Well, that sounds like Legend of Zelda. Yeah, we wouldn't talk about Zelda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, you or would not talk about Zelda. With a great battle system, let's talk about Zelda. There's, you know, it's... it's, it's... Ah! <laughs> so, no, I, I look forward to this one. It'll be a bit fun. And, and I've sort of, you know, for the listeners, I've said to Evan and Jeremy, I'm really looking at using this quest system to sort of um, open myself up, play a few new games, you know, once we've done the role today, go away for the next day or so and really have a think about what do I feel like playing um, that that I could talk about. So it might not necessarily be something I'm familiar with at all. I might just, you know, do a bit of research and select something new. So I think the ability to narrow it down or cause pain to Evan um, really spoke to me with this role, with this job. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we will sometimes reach out on Twitter or, or social media or what have you for some recommendations. But of course, we're always going to try to help each other out <laughs> through these quests as well, at least uh, to some extent. Uh, Jeremy, what is what is your job? Uh, yeah, so there are several jobs on the job board that um, manipulate dice rolls. So they're either adding a number or subtracting another number or re-rolling. So I've gone with the highest level of chaos choice among those jobs. I'm being a summoner. And what the summoner... He chose I did violence. choose violence. And what the summoner <laughs> allows me to do is I can add or subtract my job level. So right now it'd just be one from everybody's role. So all three of us would either add or subtract one from our role. Once I get level two, it'll be two and so on. Uh, and I can do this uh, once and then it resets uh, if I complete an enemy encounter. Yes. So again, this is an important thing to note is if you complete an enemy encounter, this ability resets. So this also encourages Jeremy, if he wants to screw with us more, it encourages him to t actually take on more enemy encounter quests. Oh, I plan to do every single uh, one. So that might be a challenge for him. <laughs> well, that might be a challenge for him, but it also might be a welcome one too. 
so with that being said, we are going to go right into our uh, live roles, right? Uh, and actually, Nick, uh, you are going to be starting uh, our live role uh, section. So do you have your, your diary? I, I certainly do. I scrounged the house for 10 minutes and found But before I do, just a very quick thought on the job system, something we probably haven't discussed uh we may need to determine the order in which the jobs are able to enact so i'm just going to nominate the speed stat which effectively would mean thief dragoon alchemist because otherwise if you know i think we'll we'll have a think but i think that's the way to do it i'm a summoner um, not dragoon uh sorry the summoner still if you alchemist played final Fan- oh, well that's true yeah <laughs> i was gonna say summoners are pretty slow but alchemists is- all right let's see if we can pick up the dice roll sound I've rolled a four. All right, so that means your next quest is... A JRPG that looks or feels more like a Western RPG. Well, so, so goes my uh, ability to like talk about quest. Western RPGs. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you can say uh, that a JRPG has a very blank... Well, I'm, I mean, I'm certainly feeling Zelda with this one. It's... Uh... <laughs> I, I will lose my sanity before the next podcast episode. Uh, all right. Uh, well, I guess so far nobody has uh, any reason to want to enact their uh, their ability. But uh, Jeremy, all right, here we go. Next, I got a six. Okay, so when I'm passing an enemy encounter, I can choose to stay there. I can, like, pause on the enemy encounter? Yes, you can. Or... Oh, but I also want to use my ability. Yes. but Okay, for now, I'm going to I'm gonna stick it on the enemy encounter, but I reserve the right to assume that I did the 11 and back everybody up one. <laughs> uh, which is uh, play a less than 20-hour RPG. Fun. There you go. There's your, uh, your, your little Chemco, potentially. Uh, and I'm going to roll my, uh, my own. Uh, and and see what I get. Hope, please let it be a good number. Please let me not have to do one of your quests that you've already done. I got a five, uh, which means I am sitting at six, which is a subgenre I love. Ah, great! It's the inverse of what I talked about <laughs> last week. Uh, so that's exciting uh, because I love talking about all of the different varieties of uh, RPG. Uh, sub-genres. I'm going to say it right now. Uh... <laughs> Actually, honestly, I was thinking I might want to switch with somebody. Well, we could completely screw this up <laughs> in a whole lot of ways. I'm going to say I'm not going to do anything right now. Oh, I guess I'm next. I'm next. I'm Anybody next. Uh, hang on. Thoughts? I'm looking at the board. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to use my ability, but I won't use it to screw Evan over. I'll be kind <laughs> this first time. But I am going to use it to bump everybody up one. So I'm going to stay okay. – I'll stay you know, <laughs> pausing myself on this enemy encounter. I'll bump you guys up. All right, so what are your new quests? Okay. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Uh, my new quest is an RPG with bad story but great gameplay. I've already got some. Mine is an RPG with better aesthetics, music, art, maybe story, than gameplay. 
So almost, yeah, opposites there, which will be interesting. Yeah, that is, that is. Uh, now, do I, do I want to merge That's our quests be... and make myself or Evan do <laughs> an RPG with better story than story? It's... <laughs> That would be or better gameplay than cool. gameplay. An RPG, an RPG with a bad story, but it's so bad. Or, or so bad, bad, but it's still better than the extremely poor gameplay mechanics. <laughs> oh lord, that would be. That'd be no, I think I'll, I'll hold off for now. Yeah, I think that's that sounds sounds like a good idea. Um, all right. Well, with all that said, you know what? I was supposed to include a uh, plug section here. Uh, Jeremy, since I kind of handled dice rolling and, and job systems and, and such, uh, do you want to take over the, the plugs for us for uh, the sure. end of the episode? Uh, so you can find uh, this podcast on Twitter uh, at RPG Podcast. We do some posts there. You can also reach us via email at rpgpodquest.com at gmail.com. I'm pretty sure I just said the Twitter handle wrong as well. That's RPG Podcast. Uh, you can find this podcast on a bunch of different uh, podcast aggregators, Spotify, Apple, Google, the whole shebang. And uh, we're also individually out there on social media as well. Evan, where can we find you online? You can find me at RPGs, well, uh, RPGSEB on Twitter. Uh, and I also am writing as Evan B on Switch RPG, which I'm very excited. I'm uh, posting uh, a new review uh, very soon about a roguelite that I absolutely adore. I look forward to hearing about it. Uh, yeah, you can find me also on Switch RPG, writing under my name Jeremy Rice. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter and TikTok at the username RPG underscore writer. Uh, where I post both about uh, creative writing and RPGs. Um, with all of that being said, I think, gentlemen, we need to head on to our next quest. Right? I gotta find myself. Although I will, I will quickly add, I've just created a Twitter account. So let's let me hit save. I, I've I've made an account. <laughs> it's RPG Nick, and Nick is spelt with two eyes. So there you go. RPG Nick? Yes. I, I started doing <laughs> yeah. that when the Wii came out, and now I've just always spelled my name when I'm playing video games with two eyes. Um, and when, when I'm playing a JRPG, uh, that, I like to go sense. with Nick Ooh, after the uh, the Wii U, but also the Japanese pronunciations. So it, it works. Well, my name is not Sebastian or Seb, so... My name uh, on Twitter doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, but uh, maybe I should consider changing that. But yours, yours does make a whole lot of sense. Well, that's great. Then uh, we will have the opportunity, hopefully, to reach out to our audience, to interact with one another on Twitter, uh, maybe get a sneak preview at what we are doing uh, every week. But for now, uh, gentlemen, best of luck on your next quest, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, all. Thank you. 